Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce my guest, I've been getting some feedback that my volume on my mic hasn't been very high, and so hopefully I've corrected that. I do these kind of on my own, and my technology at age 59 is a little stretch, but when you have suggestions like that, please let me know, because I want the quality of the podcast to be top-notch. And most importantly, for the guests that I visit with on the podcast, for their stories to come through loud and clear. So this is kind of a group effort, and I'm open to any suggestions you have to improve the podcast. Right now, about 9,000 people are listening to every episode, and I appreciate all that you're doing as listeners to connect more people to the podcast. But the podcast works because of heroes, I call them, that come on and bravely share their story. Every story is important. And every story that we share takes a bit of courage and vulnerability as people open up about their unique journey. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Jenny Hunter. Welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Thank you. Jenny, I'll introduce Jenny and and let our listeners know who we're going to speak with in the topic. Jenny is a mother of six children. She has an oldest son, Nicholas. And then five daughters. She lives in Tampa, Florida, where her and her husband have lived for about 15 years. She is in her late 40s. Um, she's gonna. She's active LDS. Both um, Jenny and her husband are active in the church and very involved in the church, serving um, in callings and where they serve. Um, their oldest son Nick is gay, and we're going to talk about Jenny's story, supporting and understanding and embracing this son, Nick. It's a podcast that's going to be helpful for you LDS parents that are new to this road of having an LGBTQ child. Often that's a deer in the headlight experience, and you're looking for other parents that are walking this road. And Jenny's been walking this road for about eight years. And um, she's also, from a professional standpoint, stepped into this space with her coaching career, and she is coaching other parents on raising LGBTQ children or just general family um, relationship expertise to bring our families together. Is that okay for an introduction, Jenny? Yes, that's perfect. I think you've summed it up well of where we're at and what, what I do and how our journey started. Tell our listeners, and we'll do this at the end of the podcast, if they want to, you have a website, I believe. Tell our listeners how they can find you. Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram, Jenny Hunter Coaching, or um, JennyHunterCoaching.com. And Jenny is spelled J-E-N-I-E, and then Hunter, and then Coaching. And that's probably the best way to reach me. Either send me a message through Instagram, which is the same, or my email, or my website. And I became aware of Jenny by a mutual friend, Carrie Harding, um, who lives in D.C., and he sent me a post that you made on your website dated June 3rd called Unconditional Love. And it's this picture of um, your son, Nick, and you, and you've got beautiful scenery in the background. It looks like a waterfall. And then you just share the story of raising this wonderful son. So we'll kind of do this podcast chronologically, listeners. We'll start with just their family story. And um, Jenny's been on this road for about eight years and all the lessons learned and Nick is aware we're doing this podcast. He has read and approved of the post that Jenny has shared. So Nick is kind of here with us right now as he is proud that his mother, 
I get a little tears in my eyes, is <laughs> wants to share his story and and just loves this wonderful son of hers um, unconditionally. And we offered a prayer before we start, and we pray this podcast will just further open our hearts and op- for more love in our eyes, for more understanding, so we can better meet the needs of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Tell our listeners, Jenny, the story of how Nick came into your home. Okay. Um, really, it was a miracle. Um, we had been married about six years, and we were right at the tail end of our first IVF um, time of doing it, first time of doing it, procedure. And um, I also felt strongly, and so did John, my husband, that we should also put our name on um, LDS Social Services to adopt. And we felt like we knew we wanted a large family. And so we thought, well, if both happened, great, we would be thrilled. And it was a huge, huge, if you, anybody who's adopted knows it is so much you have to do, so much paperwork and um, interviews and, um, and you have to put together a whole bio, you know, to give to the birth mothers. So we get that done and turn that in. And at the same time, um, we did our IVF procedure and the the whole time. And you, when you do fertility, you have to do probably about a year of other things before they let you do IVF. So we actually had been doing fertility for probably three or four years to this point. And, um, but every time, the whole time they're like, oh, you're, you're going to get pregnant with IVF. You're going to get pregnant with IVF. Don't worry. And it turned out we did not get pregnant with IVF and we were devastated, but we had, we're still, you know, putting in all our papers with LDS services, got that done. And three weeks from the day we turned in the paperwork, we got the phone call that we were picked, which we thought, you know, our social worker said it could take up to two or three years. I mean, we had no hope that it would be that quickly. And I remember we were leaving to meet the birth father, I mean, the birth mother, John and I, and I was at work and I got a phone call from my doctor and he said, you know, you just need to come in because there's no reason why you shouldn't have gotten pregnant. I just don't understand why you didn't get pregnant. So let's come in. And I, and I, it struck me right then, if I had gotten pregnant, we would have not probably qualified to receive Nicholas. And so Nicholas was supposed to be in our family because every IVF after that was successful for us because we had to do more to get more of our children. And so um, he was by far supposed to be in our family. So we meet the lovely birth mother and her family and um, we go in and we tell them the name we picked and her and her mother started crying and I was like, oh no, she doesn't like the name. And then they tell us that no, when they, as soon as they found out he was a little boy, they had been calling him Nicholas also. And I said, well, we're just talking about the same spirit, both, all of us. And so three weeks later, Nick was born. And um, from that day forward, we took him from the hospital and, you know, I, Sealing him six months later, I wish every parent could have that experience where they take their child to get sealed to, because that is such a heavenly, he just glowed. And my, I have a large extent family, they were all there and all of us com- commented how um, 
overwhelmed it was with the spirit there and it just testified that Nick was always the spirit son and this was completely God's plan. And and the birth family actually told us um, they had a huge stack and she was from a very large family. And so they all took the stack, looked through it, and then had a family meeting to see who they were going to pick. And they came together and individually they had picked our name, each person. And she told us we got to meet her. Um, we, we corresponded every year with her, but um, Nick and us got to meet her when he was 18. And she said, you know, uh, I'll never forget the day when I knew for sure it was you guys because I had been on the boat. I had come back and I was showering. And the answer was so strong that I fell to my knees, but it was you. And she said, you know, I was here. It was I was wasn't living how I should have been to get that answer she felt like but she knew then that regardless of how she lived heavenly father loved her and that she said that story of that experience of getting that answer for nicholas has sealed her testimony and helped her through so many years because she felt his love and knew that god answered prayer so we just we, the miracle was overwhelming to us and we were just so grateful that's a great story, and just wonder, you know, you'll get a chance to get on the other side of the veil someday in like 40 years, and and that birth mother and heaven, our heavenly parents, and I think you'll understand more of just the whole plan that brought Nicholas mm-hmm. in your home and the significance of that name. I wonder if he was involved from the pre-earth life and that name, and if that name is significant to him and was really important that, that that name became I'm close to both of you is, I don't know. So um, that's a yeah. really faith-promoting story and um, God's hand in this wonderful young man coming into your home for eternity. Mm-hmm. And let's fast forward now. So he, I'm going to read a little bit um, from our correspondence. When Nick came out at 15, it was the perfect storm for him. Um, and just talk more about that. He came out at 15. Just help us understand more what was going okay. on. Sure. You know, at this time, he was really struggling with depression and anxiety and he was seeing a counselor. So we were doing everything we could. And so um, I was going to the temple quite a lot to get strengthened. And I had experience in the temple where really God told me, we need to ask Nick if this is what he's struggling with. And so I came home and told John, I said, I think Nick might be struggling with being gay. And he said, okay. And so we, we were very um, mindful with how we handled it, where I took Nick on a date, just me and him, spent the day together. And then at lunch, I asked him and he just immediately started crying. And he said, yes. Wow. And it was, it was powerful. And, you know, I said immediately, you know, we love you. And, um, you know, this is just something about me we didn't know. And he was so worried to tell us. And he, he said, you know, I was so worried you would kick us out of the house because I've read so many stories and I've read other people. And I'm like, no, you know, like that just shocked me that that his, was his response. And so, you know, the actual him telling us and coming out was really beautiful at that point. What caused you, was there any sort of mother's intuition to ask that question? Um, have you had gay relatives to make you more sensitive to just the possibility that close family members are gay? Any more of a backstory 
Um, obviously, the Temple Impression was a key part of that. Any more of the backstory? Yeah. No, I mean, it was totally coming to the Lord and what can I do for my son? And I, you know, I, you know, some parents say they know always that he was gay. Nick was always very artsy. Um, he always connected better with girls. And, but we never, we thought maybe, but we never thought like, I don't even know if John and I voiced a conversation about it from that point. Um, but cause he played sports and all the, all the normal things boys do. He was just really interesting. He's always been such an amazing boy to raise because he saw life so differently and so beautifully. I mean, he's very, he sees things, sees the beauty of the world really differently. And so I really do attest maybe, I mean, maybe subconsciously I was thinking it, um, but it was definitely really the spirit saying you need to address this. Um, that's really gutsy. Um, I've heard parents that have, um, I love that you just acted on your impression and in a very safe environment, because that's a question you spent some time, you and your husband, figuring out, okay, we're going to ask him this question. Um, yeah. I, you spent some thought and prayer and figuring out to creating a safe environment that he would answer that question, even if he didn't want to answer it right then. I've heard some parents that have kind of just asked the question. It's taken a little bit of time, but it's interesting. He was ready to tell you right then, and obviously it's something that was part of his um stuff that he was working on, anxiety and depression. How long had Nick known? That's kind of a question for Nick, but how long did he know he was gay um, or working on yeah, same-sex attraction? I love that question because um, we were talking about that a couple of years ago, and he said, I actually feel like I always knew. And and he said, and I remember like sometimes you guys would say things, and, and he'd be like, oh, that, that must be bad. Like, And so he would resist it. You know, and then that made us feel horrible. <laughs> you know, you hate that you've hurt your child just saying things sometimes like, oh, that person's gay or, you know, like just normal conversations that what probably weren't the best way to say it. And so I think that's where it worried him. And you try to resist it. Like you said, I think that's where the depression and anxiety came from. And, you know, the, the actual asking, I think, went well, I think what our mistake was is how what we did next. And. You know, because we weren't, we didn't have any gay relatives, and um, there was not even in at the time in our ward any gay children. So he was definitely the first. And it was during that time where Voices of Hope was remember that, and yeah. that was um, a website, and the, there was all these interviews of LDS people who were gay and who like walked away from it through Christ and all that, and so. I said to him, I said, you have three choices. You can be celibate. Um, and like, because he has an aunt who's never been married. And I said, so you could be celibate like one of your aunts who honors her covenants, which is one choice. You can do nothing with the church or you can live a gay lifestyle and try to mesh the two. And he wasn't ready to hear any of that or the voices of hope or anything. Like at that point, all I should have let him lead lead the way instead of like trying to fix him trying to direct him um i should have just excelled and not try to manage it and just let him feel our love and just kind of sit back and i think we would have caused less damage for him at that point 
That's helpful for our listeners. Just keep talking about that journey because I think there, um, just there's expectations and what we want as parents, and just sort of your journey to. Um, in fact, one of your phrases as we emailed each other is this long curvy road, and I've, I love yeah. the visual of the long curvy road. So just keep sharing more, and and that's okay. obviously advice for other parents. Because you've been on this road yeah. eight years, which is a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has been, but um, oh, but you know, even I, both John and I would say we wouldn't change it for a thing because it's changed us so much and taught us how to love so much more effectively. And you know, at that time, it wasn't just him dealing with being gay and being LDS. He, like I said, he was dealing with depression and anxiety. And I don't, it's maybe a chicken and egg syndrome. I don't know which was first. It might've been that. Um, and so he started to self-medicate and he started with, I think, smoking marijuana or maybe with um, pills like ADHD pills, those, and then marijuana. And then we found um, some cocaine and, you know, John and I, we, this was very foreign to us because um, none of our siblings had gone through this. And so it was pretty shocking having a child quickly. And he went through this like in six weeks. It was very quickly. He was escalating his self-medication. And so, you know, we put him through like um, drug rehab, did all that. And we told him, we said, and this was probably one of the most painful things we did. We said, we found marijuana. We said, if we find any other drugs, um, we're going to call the police in our home because we have called um, our friend who worked in Utah in a facility. And he said, you can't control your child, but you can set a boundary. And that's the only thing he might listen to. So set a boundary for your home. And we had at that point, five little girls and they ranged from, um, let's see, it would have been 12 down to two. So we had lots of children, you know, that a lot of dynamics that we were trying to deal with. It was, it was a very stressful time. And um, so we found cocaine and we called the police and that was really hard to do, but we knew we had to honor that boundary with him to help him. And he got, um, we went through a drug program through the, the, the courts. We had, had, had to hire, it's so funny because we called the police, but then we hired the attorney. So we had to do it all, but we just knew that we needed to do the tough love, which was really hard for us. And he didn't emotionally, I mean, he stopped using drugs at that point and really, um, but emotionally was not getting better. It was And we had a psychiatrist also with them. And I, and I felt like it, he, we just couldn't get a diagnosis of what was going on with him. And he just kept upping his medication. And I think it was affecting Nick. And so we looked into a um, residential treatment center in Utah and they said, you know, we you bring him out here and you could test him for a month to see kind of what you're dealing with because we just wanted to get him the right tools and to help him. And that was another really hard decision. Um, and so we sent him out there and that really helped him. That changed the game for us, even though it was very hard to do. Um, he did boarding school and high school out there with it. And that gave us some space, gave him some space to kind of heal where we were at right there and do some counseling um, and just really get him the help that he needed to feel good about Nick 
and to kind of cope with everything he was dealing with. How long was he in that residential treatment center in Utah? He was in it for a year, about a year. It was right after his 16th birthday. And it came, it all kind of came to a, a point where he was so angry one day because we had taken his iPad away and he threw a chair through the door and his sister was standing right there and just covered in glass. So we were worried for his safety, for the other children's safety. And, but like we said, it was very, a very hard choice. Um, so he was there a year and it actually, you know, if I were to say to parents, like in these situations, you're going to find tender mercies. And when I look back on that year, we, John and I would go out there every like six weeks and we would take one child with us to see him and to do some counseling with them. And then we'd have like Zoom counseling with his counselor every week. Those trips out to see him and to bring one child, those were really great memories and really strengthening and healing for all of us. So there is, you're going to have hard times, but in those hard times, is you're going to find new strength and new growth. And that's what we did that year. And we had this amazing counselor, Misty Roser, who is, this was amazing. And she really connected with Nick and they did great things there. They did like triathlons and like they, it was all about kind of a pure run um, where they had the boys. It was a boy and girl, but then Nick was in the boy unit really helped the other peers. And it was all about having the boy find his happiness and what worked for him and building them up in all areas like arts and athletics and school. And it was just a really good fit for us. And it, it gave Nick, Nick left there feeling great about Nick. He was happy with himself. He was felt accepted. He was a leader among those boys. And, you know, at first he was angry. Very first three months, it was not that. But he really worked hard there and found strength and all the things he needed to. He found some really good tools there. And that put us on the road to really building the relationship where it needed to go and where Nick needed to go at that point. And so that was his sophomore year, and then he came home for his junior and senior year back home. Um, I'm struck with just there's no owner's manual for the road you're walking right now as you're recapping this. There's no right. Release Society <laughs> lesson that says this is how you find a residential treatment center for your son that's, you know, got these challenges at age 15, 16. And so I think as no, parents, was, go ahead. Yeah. Once again, I feel like like the Lord was guiding us where, you know, there were so many months of turmoil leading up to this. And I remember finding this place and looking into it. And John and I, um, the temple is about an hour and a half from our house. And so we were going to the temple one day and I said, you know, let's just call them and find out what they do, you know, to see if this is an option. And so we did, and we talked to them, and we felt good about it. But this was like three or four months before we even sent him out there. So, but we had this where we thought, okay, if it gets to this point, because um, we that was the last thing we wanted to do. And so I felt like the Lord, like, guided and directed us. And it was slow, and it wasn't like overnight, like, this is what you need to do. Um, but I feel like if you are... Even in when, and it, like I said, it was like, sometimes I felt it was the most 
abusive relationship I've ever been with. When you have a teenager who's depressed and dealing with all the things he's dealing with, and you know, even adoption alone is throws kids through so much. You know, dealing with all that, um, it is hard to parent. I and it it is it it takes over every areas of your life, and we felt that. And so we this was our focus. This is I think every conversation John and I had alone, it was about makeup this time. And we just like, what to do next? How do we help him? And so it really, it really was a hard time because when we saw our child in so much pain. So we were really looking for more, just what do we do? And like I said, we had no experience. I knew no family who did this. So it was really the Lord with our prayers and our, our, our yearning to help him. I love and that. he, you know, he answered it. He, he helped us. I love that because I think sometimes we look f- for answers, you know, in our lessons at church or at conference talk, and there's principles there, but I sort of personally think the church is trying to get us to principle-based um, Latter-day Saints where we learn to turn to our heavenly parents for personal revelation, we have that as parents for our children and for each of us individually for our own lives. And I think there's a really important balance there where, rightly so, there's lessons that are helpful in conference talks that are helpful in scriptures that are helpful, but often there's not in any of those a specific answer by someone who's walked the same road. You can say, that's how I do it. And yeah. so yeah. I love that you and your husband, John, um, through personal revelation, that you have a right as parents to find the right road for Nick. Talk about, and just a note on John, um, in your email to me, you said, we are, and honestly, we are more in love today than we were on day one. Um, <laughs> we, we are, We feel yeah. very blessed in our marriage, and you've been coming, you're coming up on 29 years of marriage. Talk about, um, back to Nick, you were kind of trying to figure out what the diagnosis was. I think you had said that earlier did you ever get a firm diagnosis or was it just all this combined um, yeah. stress, it anxiety, is, it, the adoption, sexual orientation, and he's self-medicating himself and he just needed to sort of deal right. with that? It is. It's all of it combined. Like they didn't really come up with anything. They said like a little bit ADHD, and but nothing, anything specific. Um, the lovely thing is they took him off all the medication, so we got the raw Nick, you know, and we're able to then decide what's best for him at that point. And it was just always, you know, I think it's just the hormones as a teenager and the adoption, the sexual orientation, all of it. And really just, and he's so brilliant artistically. Like, I think that when you're so artistic and can have such talent, I think usually there's more struggles with that. But it seems like the Lord kind of gives the extra talented people more maybe emotional struggles. I don't know why, but I see that a lot in my family sometimes too. And it, it was just kind of the perfect storm. And we like finding a place where we could be helped and move forward because we knew what was happening with our relationship was not the relationship we wanted. And so just, you know, there was no, there was no just inclusive diagnose and just a lot of cognitive behavior of like things he needs to learn to emotionally help himself every day. I like that. And I remember going to a therapist um, 
talking about some of my YSAs during my YSA experience, and she taught me the iceberg concept that often what we see as parents or church leaders at the local level is what's occurring above the iceberg, such as marijuana or cocaine or broken windows. But to sort of understand, we got to put that on the shelf a little bit and sort of try to figure out what's going down at the very bottom of the iceberg to solve what's at the top of the iceberg. And it sounds like your intuition recognized that when you use the word self-medication, you recognize that this there's something much deeper going on here that we need professional yeah. help in a different environment to deal with. And um, so I admire you doing that. I'm in a Facebook group of LDS parents with LGBTQ kids and so many of the times um, the questions in that group are say, I need a good therapist. <laughs> Sometimes mm-hmm. it's for the parent that needs somebody to help them, but often it's, I recognize my kid um, is really struggling and I don't have all the tools, which we're not supposed to as parents to have every tool and every answer and every skill. And they're recognizing they need therapists. Any advice to parents that are trying to find the right kind of therapist or a therapist that's going to be helpful for their LGBTQ kid? And, yeah. and, find, I mean, and reaching out to you may be the solution for some of them. Yeah, like, it, this is key because it takes, I mean, Missy was Nick's fourth therapist, and I could tell you none of them did really anything until her. And so it isn't, it, and I think any parent who's willing to get their child help is so brave because you just sometimes you can't do it by your own and it's okay to get a professional and it's okay for your child to find get some medicine to help them through this and just to kind of admit that you know like I think sometimes we want the bishop or the youth leaders to solve everything and they just don't have the skills for what these kids are dealing with it's it's heavy 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 stuff and so really just keep trying ask people don't be you know one of the things I think we did really well is we were very authentic from the first with our family and with our ward. So we would tell our story. So I never felt like people had to talk about our story. And they might have behind us, our back, but I never felt that way because we were fine telling the story. And it wasn't like we were out broadcasting it from the pulpit, but we were very honest with what was happening with Nick and what was happening um you know, with his sexual orientation, we weren't hiding anything. And I think that gave people permission to love us and to help us and to like really be authentic with us and to grow with us. And like Nick was the first gay cousin, gay um, grandson, gay brother, you know, all of that in my family. And we were really blessed on both of our extended family that they just loved him. That's great. And you know, part of it is they realized that Nick didn't change. It wasn't like this is a new boy. They just, this is a new aspect they didn't know about Nick. And they hurt for him because he was hurting. So he was very lucky to have that love. And, and the ward um, was good too. Like we had a really good bishop at the time. And in fact, I felt like the Lord had prepared our bishop because in, um, he had a college roommate who had killed himself because he was gay, which is so heartbreaking. And so he was so sensitive and so lovely to Nick and really was just gave him the love he needed. And 
but why I bring this point up is that even with all the love Nick felt, he was still in so much pain about it. And what I realized, and, th- and this is kind of why it's a long curvy journey, is that even when you are loving and supporting them, we still have no idea how painful this is for these children to go through. And they still have to go through it themselves. And it's, 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 they're going to, we can't make it perfect for them. And Nick was definitely, this was just the beginning of his journey with dealing with I'm gay and I'm LDS. I love that you were vulnerable with your family and your congregation for two reasons. (laughs) And you've said it better than I'm going to say it, but one is that they can then minister to you and reach out to you and help you walk this road. But it also sends a signal to Nick that you're not, you're not ashamed of him by you don't want to talk about it or somehow not talking about it. This is a phase that Nick will pass through. Um, so I think there's some intuitive things that you did that aren't in any manual anywhere. I love the vulnerability and authentic and just then we can mourn and bear and comfort. And it takes a lot of self-confidence to do that because our culturally, we often want to project the perfect sort of exterior, um, for us and our kids and our family. And so to sort of have this going on and being willing to talk about it, I think is the right thing to do. But it kind of goes yeah. against maybe our our normal cultural <laughs> tendencies as Latter Day Saints, right? And and I think people will surprise you. Like the more you are authentic, at least I have found that the more you give them the opportunity to love you and to love what you're going through. Because I, what I know for sure is everybody is struggling with something. That one is far far the truth, and so there is no reason for any of us to act perfect or act like it, we're all on easy street with problems because we all have something. And, you know, it really is just that is mourned with those who mourn, you know, and that's really what, if we could just be that way with each other. Um, and, you know, some people are going to say hurtful things and they just say hurtful things, but you just have to remember they're just confused and that's where they're at because I don't think anybody really intends to be hurtful. And, but for the most part, you know, they just are loving and doing what's best they can do and to help you through it, just like you would be towards them. And you, especially if you have other children in the family too, you have to remember you have to support them and give them support and give them an outlet to talk about things that are happening. And, it, you know, if you have one child who is going through so much, that could very much overshadow the, all the other children. And so you have to remember that your husband might need different support than you, and you have to be okay with whatever each family member needs to talk and to get them through it and the support and, and be okay with that. There's, no, there's just no one way of doing it for anybody. From your blog post, I'm going to read a line, and just ex- it, I circled it and and share with our listeners more about this. I'll I'll start before my favorite part, <laughs> the process of accepting, <laughs> the process of accepting Nick for exactly who he was instead of who he thought he should be took some time. We caused ourselves unnecessary suffering suffering because of our expectations. Our pain and mistakes came from thinking something had gone wrong 
and there was something that needed to be fixed. We were wrong. Nothing had gone wrong. There was nothing to fix. This was always the plan. Share with our listeners more of that. Yeah, that those words just speak to my heart because that was my initial feeling. Okay, like what we need to fix him. This, you know, this can't be his life. This is not the life we thought he was going to have. Um, we want him to be happy. And you almost feel like as a parent, well, if I support him in this, then Heavenly Father is going to be mad at me. And, you know, I, I need to like have him keep every commandment and I need him to do all these things because that's what, I, that's what a good parent does. And um, that was a real learning from Heavenly Father. And um, my sister-in-law taught me, she had a child who was going through some stuff and she said, you know, I can't change him, but I could go to the temple and put his name on the roll every week. And um, so I made a commitment for this, this entire time, pretty much every other week I go and I get to the temple and I put my name, Nick's name on the roll. And that didn't change Nick, but that changed me. And the Lord tutored me and just taught me that this whole thing, he knows he's in charge. I don't need to be in charge. And, um, and I, when I coach moms about this, this, you do feel like, okay, this is just a phase. This is not going to be forever. And I think that's the worst thing you could think at that point, because first of all, if you say that and invalidate your child, who's going through it. Um, they just need you to accept them exactly where they're at and not try to change it, not try to fix it and just love them. And, let them kind of dictate what they want to do next. Um, and going to the temple and just giving that service to the Lord, the Lord really taught me just it's my role is to love, which we hear that a lot. Like our role is to love and what that looks like though, it's harder to describe. And for us, you know, we were dealing with a child who was coming out at in the teen years. And so when Nick came back his junior and senior year, he wanted to start dating. And this was a lot of questions of what do we do? Um, and so John and I made the decision that if it was, if we would make the same rule for our girls, then Nick would be the same rule. Like, you know, starting dating at 16, but having group dating, um, we have to meet the people he wanted to go on dates. Um, all these things, all the rules we would make for if he was dating girls, it would be the same as for him dating boys. And that helped us a lot through those teen years when he was still in our home and where we set the rules because then we felt very fair and he felt like it was fair and we were able to guide ourselves through that. Um, because that's, you know, people ask me a lot, like how do you set the rules when they're in their teens and they have come out? And that to me is probably the best guide point, like whatever rule you'd have for your girls or if he was dating heterosexually, that should be the same rules that you'd want for him dating, you know, other guys. And that worked out well for us. And so he felt validated and that was fair, but he, you know, really still was struggling during this time of I'm gay, I'm LDS. You know, I, I know he had experience with the boys at church where he, kind of talked about it actually was at a camp out and it wasn't great. Cause they were like, well, you could change that. You know, that's different. And that really hurt him. And the funny thing is I was the early morning seminary teacher for him at that time. And so he was lovely. <laughs> we would have a fight at 
home and then we'd go into seminary and he was the best student always just and we had a large class like 30 kids and it was just funny it's like it, I felt like the Lord was like this is hard but then we would just keep doing the things we knew the Lord wanted to do and we would find these tender mercies and these blessings and it got us through those years that's a really good segment um Talk about this idea of, well, I want (laughs) to, I wrote something down you said that really struck me, and perhaps our listeners, that um, your time going to the temple and putting his name on the prayer roll, that didn't change Nick, but it changed me. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really powerful, and sort of relieving his parents um, that we, you know, that sometimes... Um, we can't control our children's agency, even though we'd love to. There's an Ensign article in the July Ensign about a mother with adult children, some that have stepped away. And I'll just It's just about what you said. Um, for a long time, I pleaded with the Lord to change their hearts, and finally the Lord answered my prayers, but not in the way I expected. Instead of simply changing my children's hearts, he showed me I need to start by changing my own heart. While parents play an important role in teaching their children, he reminded me that my role isn't to judge or to save them, but to love them. Jesus Christ is this their Savior and, and, and judge. And I encourage our listeners to go to that July Ensign article by Sister Mortensen, who, by the way, is going to be on the podcast, so it'll be a later episode than this one. And yeah, what a great article. Story. Yeah. So I love that, and in some ways that's relieving for parents because then we're not responsible for these outcomes of our children. We're responsible to love them, to teach them good principles that just honor the doctrine of our church, was, which is um, agency, that everybody has agency. Talk about, was there a hope that you could do something or Nick could do something? And this is what the guy suggested when Nick came out at camp, that he could do something to become straight. Do you want to share with our listeners just about that? Because there is sometimes that feeling that if Nick just says a little longer prayers or makes some more deals with God, mm-hmm. he can become straight. Yeah, it was an interesting time for him those years because we had a bishop change that wasn't quite as good for him um, and and not as great youth leaders. And, you know, we never expected those tools to uh, fix Nick, or <laughs> but, we, but it would have been helpful to have more help at that time. But his inner group, like our our inner friends, we, he had some really good male leaders in the ward that just loved him. Um, but the youth, you know, the funny the, the the young women at the time loved Nick and all really good friends and supported him. And and you know, as a lot of our youth, because I've worked with youth pretty much the last ten years, you know, they struggle with loving. Um, they don't struggle at all with loving LBGBQ at all. You know, they, they teach us how to love and, but they struggle with where they fit in their church and it, they hurt for them, you know, and they teach us adults of how we should embrace and love. And he, you know, I think Nick still is just struggling of like, how do I make this work? And he, he, you know, he says, I don't question anything about the church, um, I have such a testimony when he would teach or testify, you, the spirit is so strong, but you know, when it came time for him to decide to go on a mission, he's like, I can't, I don't feel good teaching about the temple and all those things that I can't participate in. That's honest. And we really, 
you know, we respected that. We said, that's fine. There's other ways of service. You know, of course, we would have loved if he, you know, went on the mission just for the fact of what it does for you as a man and your your relationship with Christ. But we also knew that these were Nick's choices. Um, and I was lucky. I think I would have been one of those dumb moms who thought, okay, well, you just go on a mission, this will be done. Or if you just marry a girl, then this will solve it. And, but I was lucky that both John and I had siblings who were actually um, married to somebody who was gay. And we saw how those marriages, they did not cleave and they did not work. And so we knew that that is not the fix and that is not the answer and that this is real and that this is something that we didn't know. We, and we still don't know how this journey is going to end, but doing the work on yourself, like for me going to the temple and, and, you know, I taught somewhere, I think five years during this time of like after Nick and before Nick and, um, being in the scriptures, that's what yoked me with Christ. And, you know, when we talk about being yoked with Christ, what does that look like? It's really us doing the work on ourselves spiritually so that we are as one heart with Christ. And then the burden, literally the burden is completely off my shoulders. And I have such peace that this will be fine. And that I don't, and I don't know how, I don't know how this will work out, but I have no angst about it and I and I and I know I'm just supposed to guide and help Nick and find a way with him like he will lead us and we just you know keep him tethered to the church as much as we can you know I was talking to this one mother who I was coaching um whose son just came back from a mission and just lovely boy amazing boy and she said and he came out as gay so I have met so many amazing young men who are gay and she goes they're like you know he's in his army and I go I agree and I said I feel like these boys and these girls will be able to be part of the gathering in a way that none of us can be because they will be able to reach and build bridges how differently than we can and can see differently and I said and I think our role is to find a way to keep them tethered to Christ and to the gospel to embrace them to find a way forward so that this can happen wow I love that my wife and I pray for the gathering of Israel and I posted on Instagram sort of the gathering of Israel Israel includes helping our own LGBTQ members fill full members of the body of Christ and embracing their gifts, attributes, and contributions to help us become the body of Christ that Paul talks Mm -hmm. about in Corinthians 12. And you just said the same thing. Sometimes I, and I love that, and I really agree with what you said. It's interesting. We've never met, and um, it's just interesting, our own personal journeys to come to some of the same conclusions um, regarding LGBTQ people. I feel like after meeting so many um, and giving priesthood blessings to maybe 100 or 200 LDS, LGBTQ, I've never felt an impression during a priesthood blessing to lift this or use the priesthood I hold to change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity, but just a general feeling that this is who they are and who they are meant to be and nothing went wrong, there's nothing to fix, which is the word. It doesn't take agency off the table, but it puts everybody on equal moral footing to think that these loving heavenly parents created them as they're meant to be created. 
and they're not second-class citizens, and they shouldn't feel shame for how they feel inside. And then this word tethered that you use, Jenny, is just, I see that for some reason as a, what's that thing that's hooked, the tether ball? Is that what it is? I'm thinking of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going way back. Like a rope. Yeah, I'm right. thinking that that's just like you're saying, we want to keep people connected to the gospel, to Christ, um, as they make their way forward. More thoughts on this, anything that's come to your mind as I was speaking? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think part of it is for us to be okay that we don't understand what going forward means and to trust God. God loves all of us, you know, and he knows all of the, you know, he made Nick, he knows his weaknesses. And, and I won't share the details of his patriarchal blessing, but it's clear that this he knew. And, you know, he, 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 he's very clear that he's like, these are things we talked about and these are things we discussed. And, you know, it's not like this is new to God that these, um, that his children have what they're dealing with. You know, he, like I said, he created these children, all, all of us, all of us with our weaknesses. And we will be judged as saints if we cannot find a way to, I feel strongly about this, that if we can't find a way to embrace all of this and keep them, find a way back to Christ, um, you know, as youth leaders and, um, you know, as parents, you know, really how we treat each other with whatever weaknesses we have, that is what we're going to be judged on. And, you know, it's very easy to focus on this weakness, but like I said, we all have the weaknesses and we have to be very careful how we're judging each other. And, you know, if we could all just start working on ourselves, God could take care of the rest. We have to really trust God more. And, you know, our responsibility is to include and find a way and to love and find a safe place for all the, all of us to worship God. I love that. I'm going to read another line from your post, and we'll link to this post that I'm referencing in the podcast copy. It's on her, Jenny's website, this post from June 5th, 3rd, 2020. Here's another line from it. I have complete faith in my son, faith that Nick will live his life exactly how he needs to, and that he will have the strength to learn all the lessons he needs to on this earth. Talk more about that. Yeah, one of the, um, I think the, so as I coaching, what I've really learned is we, what causes our pain is our thoughts. And sometimes we have these thoughts so deep in us that we don't even know it's causing us pain. And one of the common pains as parents have is that our kids shouldn't suffer and we don't want our kids to suffer. And, but that's actually why we came here <laughs> to suffer and to learn. And I have a testimony that this is part of Nick's what he's supposed to be learning. And, you know, that kind of goes with nothing's gone wrong. And the whole reason we have weaknesses um, is to come to Christ. And so we need to kind of get out of the way of each other and find there. Christ has all the answers. Um, we don't. And really it is just, you know, trusting our children to have to in their journey and trusting that it, they're going to make mistakes, but that's how they're going to learn. There's going to be some failures. Um, but that and repentance is, there's a reason we have repentance and the atonement that Christ did for us. All of those things 
God knew we weren't going to do this perfectly. And that's why he gave us these tools. And so we need to be okay with seeing our children not always do things perfectly because honestly, I know for me is when I haven't done things perfectly is when I've learned the most and I've changed. And it's all about us changing our hearts and letting, um, giving us that space to, to change our hearts and to figure it out. And we don't need to fix it for each other, but we need to have confidence in each other that we can each individually find our relationship with Christ. And I really am confident that Nick, I see Nick very close. And like I said, he's still on this, this path. He is in recovery and he is really, um, because he did self-medicate again, you know, after the beginning of college and he really found that he was still in a lot of pain. And I think it's, a lot of, you know, I'm like, what is the root of your pain? And as our discussions, it really, I think a lot of the, is this, is where do I fit into the scheme and God's family? And that path is, you know, I don't want any um, parent to think that this is going to be fast or a quick fix. Um, but doing the work that I've done, as Nick is still going through it, I'm such a better strength for him because I'm not in pain anymore about it. So I'm not doubling the pain. You know, I am, I'm such at peace that even when Nick messes up and, you know, does something that he knows that's not going to bring him happiness, um, that he'll figure it out and that's okay. He'll learn. This is another learning. And each time and each year he's figuring this out and getting closer to God. And that is what his journey is. And I just need to step back and, do my role in it. I love that segment. How will you respond if Nick ends up marrying a man? Oh, you know, we would be completely supportive. Like, um, I don't think, you know, for many years I hoped, okay, well, I, maybe there's this one girl that will change his heart and he will be attracted to her. And I'm not saying that that can't happen. You know, if that happened, we'd be thrilled too. But I really am at the point of, whatever i want him to have a healthy relationship and you know he has seen john and i's marriage and it's a high bar and he has said that and said i feel like you have the perfect marriage which we don't (laughs) there is no perfect marriage but we have a very good marriage and he wants that and so he will figure out what's best for him but i know having a happy marriage on this earth is one of the best gifts that you can have and give to your children and to yourself. And so if he could find that with a man, with a woman, I honestly, he will, I just want him to have a healthy relationship and he will figure that out. And I really support you on that. I love the principle of self-determination. And at the end of the day, um, I think LGBTQ Latter-day Saints have to get in the very best spot they can be emotionally, spiritually, um, every way, and and sort of self-determine at their very best personal self, their very the very best way for them forward. And it is, because, I mean, the other option is being celibate, and that is a very lonely road. And lo- so many do it, and do it amazingly, and... I'm so impressed. Like I said, I have a sister who has not been married and she it is a lonely, hard road, but she does it and she honors her covenants. And you know that Heavenly Father is very proud of her for that. But I, I'm not judging whatever road people take. Like they, they need to figure it out. And 
um, either, either way it's hard, you know, any marriage is hard, right? <laughs> so there's lessons to be learned on any of these roads. Um, and I support every, that's where I've come to is just where you are. And I don't have an LGBTQ kid. Um, sometimes, um, when LDS parents, um, sort of support their, like a gay son and say, if that's the path he wants to choose and he's going to marry a man, we're going to support him. Sometimes LDS families feel their LDS community judging them or pulling back or feeling like they're turning the back on the teachings of the church. And that can be hard on them. Mm-hmm. Any And my feeling is we need to show a lot of love and support to parents of LDS, of LGBTQ children as they're supporting their kids. And they need an increased measure of love and a decreased measure of judgment from us because they're walking a pretty difficult road. And sometimes we lose whole families um, over how they choose to support their LGBTQ kids. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's twofold. Like, I think, you know, as a parent, you have to give people time to process it, too. And I think sometimes we're too quick to demand how we want them to react. And let them, and I think you dictate this, you know, where if you support them, um, and they have a different opinion. You could still love those people who have a different opinion. It's kind of how you react to it. And if they are judging for it, they really are just confused. Um, you know, because if, if you had a child who didn't get married in the temple and married a non-member, there wouldn't be a big judgment. Um, you know, everybody wants their child to be filled in the temple to a man or a woman, you know. And, I mean, of course, that's the celestial way. But there's so many dynamics that were that isn't. And... You know, I think we have to be both. Like, as a parent of um, a son who is gay, who will probably marry a man, I have to respect other people judging me for that. Or, But really, honestly, we have – I go back to my coaching because we really have no idea what people think. So we're always assuming. And if they might say something, and then we really know. But even if they say something, I think it's a great time to educate them. And if we could educate them with love – and help them understand of why we feel this way, this is where we are going to start making some changes and some inroads into really past horrible stories that there has been judgment and been heard and people have walked away. Because um, I think if we could do it with love, if we find people who say hurtful things and find a way forward, then that changes that person and they are able to give a new measure of love forward you know i mean you look at christ and all the time people were saying things and he was like no that's not how it went goes right but he always he he taught with love and he gave people time to think about it and process it and and still love the people even though they didn't understand the doctrine i love that and I just think I've said this before on the podcast. Sometimes we develop a false dichotomy that to fully love God or, and fully follow God, we need to stop loving some of his children. But I just think what you're teaching, what you're doing in your family, I don't, I think you are honoring the doctrine of strong families and keeping your family circled together. Um, one father with two gay sons defined it to me as a double bind. My son is in a double bind, his gay son, because he loves the church and he would love to spend his life with somebody. And he says, mm-hmm. we can't take that double bind completely from the church because he can't fully participate in the church if he marries a man. But we're going to take that double bind off in our family. 
He's going to be a full member of our family and his husband if he chooses to do that. And everybody's going to be yeah. welcome in our family. And I think that keeping our family circled together keeps to me as part of our doctrine. And um, and your good son, Nick, you can't go from the hero today being celibate and sort of in the church to the villain tomorrow if he marries a man, because we just, we can't judge Nick. <laughs> and right. we just have to support people as they make their way the best way they can with things, impossible situations, um, this double bind that I certainly didn't face when I was Nick's age, you know, at 23, yeah. going to school in Utah County. We did a mm -hmm. podcast before this one that we released. It's episode 286. It's with Matthew Smith, our listeners. It's just a, it's a gay Latter-day Saint returned missionary who wants to marry a man, but he says, I am living every covenant I can live um, I recognize if I choose to marry a man, I won't be able to live that covenant, but I'm going, I'm not just going to then say, I'm going to live, not live any other covenant. I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't particularly connect with the gay lifestyle. I love to hunt. I'm not connecting. I'm just like dudes is the way he puts it. And I'd like to yeah. spend my life with a partner and I don't think I can marry a woman. And, and I loved his nuance of just saying, I, this is a complicated road and this is the best I can do. And I'm going to do the very best I can. And, um, and so it's, you know, I, 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 I'm I love, okay with that. What, oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Jenny. It made me, what you, when you said this, it made me think of this, like one of the things that we taught Nick from the very beginning is that his sexuality is just one part of him. And, you know, we, we, as a community of church, what are you focusing on each other's, part of you, you know, like we don't do that for heterosexuals. You know, we don't think if we have a single mom in there, are you dating or what are you doing? <laughs> you know, like we're just glad she's there and is happy. She's bringing her children and like being just whatever part of the gospel that they could participate with, we should rejoice and celebrate. And the most of it, they can, you know, being with us there on Sunday when we go back to church fully and, you know, doing come follow me and all of these things, like he said, there's many covenants, you know, they can embrace and be part of and be fully in our circle. And it's not for us to wonder or judge what blessings they're not getting or, you know, I think sometimes we focus so much on what they're not doing versus what they can do and how we can bring everybody together and be the body of Christ for, you know, for the church. I love that. I really agree with that. And I love, I'm going to read another line. This is from the email you sent me, just giving me more background. Um, this is why I went into coaching so I could help other parents find peace. I want them to learn how to turn this over and to have freedom and just love and support them without the need to take on the necessary pain by their thoughts, by thoughts that are causing them pain. I may be paraphrasing that wrong. Um, and I love this line also, as parents, John and I truly have no struggle with it. We did the work and feel completely at peace. It makes us hard for us just to still see him struggle, but we know this is his journey and we need and he needs to learn, and that brings us peace. But I just love where you don't have any struggle with it, and I think that probably sends messages to Nick that, and I sense you have great communication, that you're just at peace with Nick, and you're honoring his journey, and you're just loving him unconditionally. And that, to me, eliminates shame from Nick and keeps the communication channels open. 
Talk about that. Yeah, I think, you know, and I've seen this over and over again, and we've certainly went through this as like, what did we do wrong? <laughs> like that thought of like, you know, well, well, maybe we didn't do family home evening well enough, or we didn't do enough scripture study. And we felt like we had done something wrong for our child to be going through this. And what we didn't realize is, no, we probably did something really right for us to have this child here on the earth. Because it's going to take a deeper love, and we're going to have to dig in, and we're going to have to really work on making sure that our connection is strong and that we want to treat him like we want to eternally be with him, regardless. And um, take it like I think every parent who has a child who struggles should take that as a great confidence from God. No, say, and I feel like God's saying, to, You are going to love this child well here, and I trust that you could do this. And then get to work and learn how to do it because it's different for every family and, you know, not to layer it in with what, like kind of to take yourself out of it as parents, like, why is this happening? What did we do wrong? How could this be, you know, why don't we like other families and really focus on like, okay, how can this be good for us? Why is this amazing? And, you know, for Nick and for what he's taught, like um, John's in the state presidency right now. And so he does a lot of interviews and he said to Nick just the other day, he said, thank you because of you. I can interview people and help them and love them in a totally different way and love them how Christ would want me to love them and to see, see them how Christ sees them because my heart has changed. And Nick has given us that gift of really being able to see that these struggles that people go through are, doesn't make them less. Like we are all a hundred percent worth and God created us that way. And no matter what we do on this earth, we're going to leave this earth with a hundred percent worth. And the only thing is how we experience this life. And that's what our choices make. And that's what our agency is. And really, people forget that and they feel like if they sin, it takes away from their worth and it limits their love from God. And that is just, you know, once again, those thoughts that we think that just causes pain and is not true. And really embracing God's love, it's always extended and finding if it's such an individual thing, which I love, um, he knows us individually and it's, for us to figure that relationship out. And it's no, it's no different from any relationship really is, um, you know, putting the time in with him and having him tutor you. And as parents, we can only tutor our children so much, but we can teach them about God's love so that they will continue to go to God, that they will be tutored throughout their life. And that I think is the biggest role or skill set we need to teach our children is that, um, it's up to God to really tutor them and to, to build that relationship with him, regardless of what your child is struggling with. And we all can have that avenue and that um, vehicle to talk to God and to have a relationship with him. Well, that put some tears in my eyes. Um, <laughs> here's your husband serving in a stake presidency, great professional career from what I understand. And, He's got this 23-year-old gay son, and he's doing all these interviews, but then he talks to Nick and says those kind of things to Nick. How healing is that? How much beauty in that? And um, 
And it's true. Your husband and you and parents of LGBT kids and me having LGBTQ kids in my ward, I feel like my job at first was kind of to rescue them. <laughs> but mm -hmm. they have kind right. of rescued me and taught me things yeah. about the gospel of Jesus Christ and compassion and empathy and understanding people that are marginalized um, and that Christ went out to and brought in. And, and so... Um, and I just love that your family's better off with Nick as part of your family. And I think that's oh, really helpful because I think a lot of parents that might just be hearing they've got a gay kid for the first time and they've got to go through these stages of grief that you would help them in your coaching career. But then here you are in this stage of acceptance where you wouldn't go back and press a button to make this all not happen because I think you're sharing with our listeners that the Hunter family is better off um, with Nick uh, in this family and Nick being a gay member of this family, that the whole family circle is better off. Is that, am I putting words in your mouth or are you okay oh, with that? Oh, no, no, that's perfectly stated. Like our five daughters, um, you know, we say that all the time. We're such better parents because of what we've gone through. Nick, you girls are lucky um, because we've learned to love deeper. Like having a child who struggles, you will learn skills that will learn to appreciate and love that child deeper than, um, you know, some, some kids are just easy to parent, you know, and the ones that make you work, that's where the change going to change in you is going to happen. And actually that's the work that probably needs to happen. And, and to kind of realize that, right. Like, like this change isn't for him. It's for me to really make some changes. And you know, that I read um, Tom Christopherson's book and I love what that Bishop said to him where like, who am I to stand between you and Christ? Like if that visual I love of like, as parents, we aren't here to judge and stand between where we are here to, to guide them towards Christ. And that's going to be different for each child and each area of life they're in, you know, each year of life. And in order to do that, though, we have to be close to Christ and him, the, the, the road we've gone through, you know, has taught, like my daughters are such, um, advocates of anybody who's going through this because of what they've gone through with their brother and get extend such love and support and really want to be inclusive, you know, of any, any struggle because of it. And so when you have somebody who is so close to your heart, who has a struggle finding their way to Christ, and it's not an easy road, your whole family goes through that and changes and then you're able to look at other people and say, it's just their struggle. It's they're going to figure it out. Where I really feel like we're all figure it out. Christ wants us all. Heavenly Father wants us all. But we have to really love and help each other through that in the best way we can. And that is part of it is like we don't have the answers. We don't know what that path is. It's not a direct path. The direct path was Satan's, right? Where we had no choice. We had no agency. All of us are going to come very differently to Christ. And we have to be okay with everybody having a different journey. I love that. Um, as our listeners know, I've written a book that will be coming out in September. It's called Listen, Learn, Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, and I assume in September you can go to Amazon and order it. Um, we're recording this podcast in July, but I bring that up because one of the parts of the book is LDS parents getting personal revelation for their LGBTQ children. And 
and it's very consistent with Jenny um, personal revelation and often it comes in the temple and it's basically just love your child and leave it all to me and that's often incredibly relieving for parents just to, and they go they leave the temple say I can do that I I I can't control the outcome here but it's not my job to control the outcome uh, my yeah. job is to do just what you're teaching and sharing with our listeners and and to me, that's, I love this phrase that somebody coined for me. It's owning our doctrine. It's really saying, I'm going to have faith in this, in these loving heavenly parents that have given us mortality and this beautiful plan of salvation that has a pre-earth life, this experience and another experience after this life and loving heavenly parents and want to do everything they can to get their children back to them. They're their spirit children. Um, and they would care for them just as much as we do as their physical children. And, and so that gives me peace just to kind of let go of some of that like you've done and really own that doctrine and really... Well, and I'm going to ask you a question now. You've got... Um, you've used the word yoke with the atonement, and the atonement is real, just share with our listeners, maybe this is the closing segment, your feelings about the atonement and how that's been helpful for you. Sure. Um, uh, it's hard to put into words, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, I love Jesus Christ, and I love him differently than I did eight years ago. Um, it's it's kind of like the golden rod, you know, where Moses, where they just need to look at the golden rod and be healed. And I think we sometimes complicate being yoked with Christ. And Christ really, his gospel is simple. And we overcomplicate thinking there's a fix or there's something we need to do differently. And really, I have learned it's just going to his house, going to his word, going to him going to her father and just being yourself. Like as a parent, we each have such different skills, but really having confidence that the Lord has given you that child because of your skills and your ability, ability to love and really having confidence that the Lord has not made a mistake, that, that he really loves you and loves your child and to let him do your work on him. And I mean, let him do your work on, on you. And how that looked for me was questioning kind of what I thought our life should be like, what I thought the perfect mom was, what my role was um, in Nick's life and how it should look and letting God kind of tell the story that it really was going to happen anyways. I just didn't know and coming to peace with that. And it really took me to do the work on myself. And so that's the really what I coach on and um, what I tell other parents is um, you don't need to be focusing so much on what's gone wrong in your child's life, but what is going on with you in Christ. And the more you focus on your relationship with Christ and how close you are to him and the things you're doing in your life to yoke yourself with him, which means to be with him and to take things to him and make him your friend, um, that is where you're going to find your peace. And the you just shifting your focus and focusing on strengthening yourself will then the gifts of that and 
the after effect of that is your relationship with your ch child, your husband, um, your other children, your ward members will be strengthened and you will gain that the scripture, you know, wax strong, your confidence with God. That is what it gives you. And so you have confidence, like I do today, of complete confidence in God that this is his, his thing to do with Nick, not mine. My, my role is to be close with Christ. And from being close with Christ, then I could show up as the mother and as the wife and as the sister and as the ward member, um, as leader that he needs to need to be. And that's all I need to focus on. It's really simple. I don't need to focus on how this is going to end for Nick. I just need to focus on me and Christ. Love that. It's really powerful. Another question came to mind. We should just end with that. It's kind of like ending a general <laughs> conference talk. That's a perfect way. But tell, tell our listeners a little bit about what Nick wants to do with his career. He's at school in Utah County. Tell our listeners yeah. a little bit about what he'd like to do with his career and why you think he'd be really good at it. You know, um, this is, I, we have loved, we have loved seeing this. Um, he has decided that he wants to go into counseling and he is passionate about it. And it, it school's been a struggle for him. And for a while, he didn't even know he wanted to finish school, you know, and he took a break. But now he is all guns in because he has a vision of what he wants to be. And he wants to help others through this. Um, you know, because he wants to find his way through. He doesn't want to cut himself off from church. Um, he wants to still have a relationship with God and still be part of our community. And he sees so many people. Um, and Utah County has been kind of a eye-opening for him because he sees he knows so many gay boys out there who people don't know that they're gay because they're so afraid to talk about it or their family doesn't know yet. And that is just kind of blown his mind because he sees how much pain they're in. And so he is on the road to become a counselor to help other people. And I don't know if this will be his specialty, but he definitely wants to, um, um, to counsel and be a therapist um, for um, gay children um, and, and, you know, really youth who, definitely you to struggle at all because of what he's learned in his journey and how it's changed him. Nick, if you're listening, I think that's awesome. I think that you would be an incredible counselor. Um, I'm going to read a quote that I read on these podcasts, but some of you may not be regular listeners. Um, it's from Henry Norwin, a Catholic um, priest. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of a desert by someone who's never been there. And you, Jenny, and you, Nick, if you're listening, Nick, know deserts. Um, and you have taken on this you know, ability to heal and help others, including Nick, Jenny, and other parents. And Nick, you know the desert of being gay and LDS, and that's a pretty bleak desert at times and leads to self-medication, which is a logical way to deal with that, but you've moved on from that. And if you became a therapist, your ability to become the wounded healer because of your clinical expertise and your personal journey that may or may not come up in your counseling sessions, you will leave some of those visits, Nick, with an, 
recognize that it was you, only you, that could help somebody because you really understood. And yeah. so, and that's maybe part of your wonderful life mission that you be, became aware of in the pre-mortal life and knew it would be brutal for a period of time, but it would need, lead you to be able to help more people than perhaps any other road. And it's talking to you, Nick, right now, but also to other LGBTQ people that may not have much hope. And while I was looking for that quote, Jenny, and I'm going a little long, but I found another quote that's exactly what you've taught. It's from Thomas Merton, and it's, this quote is, Our job is not to love others. Our, sorry, I'm not a very good reader sometimes. <laughs> Our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. That is not uh, our business, it. and in fact, it's nobody's business. What we are asked to do is love and this love itself will render both ourselves and our neighbors worthy. So that's a good quote mm. that you're teaching. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being it's on. Pretty the... simple. <laughs> it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Yeah, pretty simple. We overcomplicate it, and um, and once we kind of clear out our minds of our thoughts, and we, it's pretty simple. It's, the Lord, Lord's made it simple for us, which I'm so thankful for. So thank you for having me on. And tell our listeners again how they can get a hold of you. Sure. It's um, Jenny, J-E-N-I-E, Hunter, coaching um, on Instagram or .com um, for my website. And they could um, send me a message or um, book an introduction session with me. And I, you know, the first session, we just go over things and see if we're a good fit and comfortable because honestly, my whole program is connecting you with yourself and your child and that this doesn't have to be um it doesn't have to be a negative thing in your life it really can bring you closer to god and closer to your child and you know we look at this so shamefully and i think it's changing some in our in our gospel but i, I feel like sometimes as parents um, I have found this, that they don't have a lot of places to go to get support and they feel really alone in this. And there's no reason to feel alone. There's so many of us that can help and guide you through it. And there's a community and to feel supported. And the more supported you're going to feel, the more you could help and be there for your child, which is really what it's all about. That's great. Thank you, Jenny Hunter, for calling in from Atlanta. Um, you're visiting family there. You live in Tampa. And everybody stay safe with coronavirus. And thank you for your beautiful life ministry and the things you've shared on this podcast. And this is Richard Osler, your host, um, signing off of another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm -hmm.